The following message is from King's Church 1066, based in Hastings, Bexhill and the surrounding area. For more information, head to our website, kings1066.org. So, we are starting a new preach series. It is called God's Better Story. We're going to look at God's story about sexuality, gender and human flourishing. We're going to go broad and we're going to go deep. So we are going to cover subjects like marriage, singleness, um, love and friendship, same-sex attraction, pornography, being made male and female. Um, Didn't get much of a round of applause for any of those really, did I? But anyway, anyway, no. Um, as, As we look at this story, as we look at God's story in these subjects, We're going to look at what does the Bible teach. We're going to look at why does the Bible teach it, which I think is really, really important. We're going to look at how it leads to good, fruitful living. But I also want us to check the posture of our own hearts. As we approach this, are we leading on love, compassion and acceptance? Or is there actually a bit of judgment in our hearts? Is there a sense of superiority? Because as a community and as a family, we want to be a safe place for everyone to come. Do you agree? And actually, the truth is, within all our hearts, there can be things lingering that if we don't think about it, they shouldn't be there, but we need to deal with them. So it's not just about teaching what the Bible said. It says it's all about, also about checking the posture of our own hearts as we do that. We're going to be drawing on material um, that new ground, the family of churches that we're part of has produced. Um, So that's going to be really, really helpful for us as we go through it. You may ask the question, why? You know, why why are we doing? Why don't we just talk about God or something like that? Isn't that what churches should do? Well, I think it was Spurgeon said, and he was a 19th century preacher, that when he preached, he preached with a newspaper in one hand and the Bible in the other. In other words, we want what we're preaching on to also be thoughtful and thought-provoking about what's going on in society as well. And the truth is, society has an awful lot to say about things like marriage, singleness, love, same-sex attraction, gender things. So it's important that we as a church also speak about those things as well. We have spoken about them in the past, but we haven't spoken about them in a joined-up way as we're planning to do during this season. And as elders, we have a responsibility within the church to put forth the truth plainly. It says in the Bible that the local church, although it's flawed in many ways, is a pillar and foundation of the truth. And so it's important. As elders, we are responsible for these things as well. And our hope is that as we tell this better story in something of its, of, of its fullness, we can see how there are different ways of living that are fruitful and viable, even if it is costly at times. So the series starts today. It's going to run over eight weeks. We're going to have breaks when we've got Venue Sundays. That won't be happening on Venue Sundays. And on Sunday, the 17th of March, and on Sunday, the 21st of April, we're also going to have two discussion evenings. So on Sunday evenings, we're going to invite you back if you want to, and there'll be an opportunity to discuss and look at these things in more depth. Connect groups are going to go through different material. They're not going to be following the preach series during this 
term. I think as we take this journey, it may raise some questions. And for some of you, you may feel vulnerable. Please, please don't, don't, don't think twice about coming to talk to one of the pastors. If you've got questions, if you've got concerns, if you've got worries. We want to tread through this series clearly and compassionately. And we know that it may, may cause pain even as we touch on different subjects. That is not our desire to do that, but we want to help and support you through it. It is now my great privilege to welcome Andrew, who's going to come and preach uh, the first one in the series. Andrew is an incredible blessing to us as a church, and he's a blessing to me personally. And he has helped me in so many different ways, provoked, challenged, and been a good friend to me. So why don't we welcome Andrew as he comes and preaches this morning. Thank you. Thank you, Paul. It's very kind. It's always lovely to come the far journey from Bexhill to be with you and to get to open God's word. And a great joy for me today to get to launch this series, a series we've called God's Better Story, the good news on sex, relationships and gender. And every single one of us has a story around sex and relationships and gender. We as human beings each have a story around these topics. For some of us, that will be a happy story. Maybe we've had good experiences and healthy relationships and comfort with our gender. For others, actually, our story around these topics won't be so happy. Maybe actually we've had bad experiences. We've been in unhealthy relationships. We've known what it is to have discomfort around our gender. For many of us, actually, there'll be a mixture of good and bad in our personal stories around these topics. The topics that we've all got our own stories, we're all coming from different places, we're all going to have different feelings about them. We're all going to bring different questions to them. And that's important just to notice and realize, which might real life stuff for all of us as we come to this series. I've got my own story on these topics. Many of you will have heard aspects of my story before. You'll hear more later in this series. Hopefully, we'll hear other people's stories for the series as well. But I'm a guy who's single. I've always been single. I expect to live the rest of my life single. In part, that's because I'm a guy who's attracted to guys. I'm gay or same-sex attracted, whatever language we want to use for that experience. And so I've had to wrestle with, well, how do I seek to faithfully follow Jesus as a guy who's attracted to guys when actually God's teaching is that sex and marriage are reserved for lifelong unions of a man and a woman? What's that mean for me? How do I faithfully follow Jesus? I'll share more of my story there, and we'll talk about that later in this series. Like lots of us, I've had bad experiences around sex. I, like many people, especially people of my age and younger, stumbled into internet pornography at quite a young age. My teenage years were marred by pornography usage. I still carry the scars of that. Lots of us will carry scars from bad experiences around sex. And I've got a story in gender too. When I was a kid, there was a time in my childhood I came to believe very deeply that I was a girl trapped in a boy's body. And that feeling actually went away of its own accord. But even when I came into adulthood, I was left with this niggling sense that I wasn't a real man. I didn't really make the cut as a man. I didn't fit in with other men. I've had to wrestle with, what does God say about my identity and about gender? I've got a story on these topics. We've all got a story on these topics. We've all got our own struggles, our own questions. And this series gives us some time to stop and think about our story and how God's story on this has good news for each and every one of us. Because whatever our experience is, good or bad, God has good news for us. 
God has a better story for us on these topics. We've each got our own stories, but also we live in a culture, a context, a society that has a story on sex and relationships and gender. A story that you and I are hearing preached to us and told to us all the time. We're swimming in these waters. And it's a story which has changed dramatically in a relatively short period of time. If we were to somehow transport someone from 1924 and to bring them to 2024, and they were to hear some of the stories of our culture around sex and relationships and gender, they would be baffled by what they hear. They would be flabbergasted by the extent of the change. The story we hear today in our culture would be pretty much unrecognizable to someone even from just 100 years ago. We've seen radical change in our cultural story in the last century, particularly actually the last kind of 60 years as well. And those big changes have sometimes been called the sexual revolution, because it has been a total revolution, a total overturning, a transformation on perspectives on sex and things related to it. And that sexual revolution has been presented to us as a culture as a good news story. The narrative is that this sexual revolution is all about liberation from the oppressive, unenlightened, old-fashioned ways of times gone past. And that actually this revolution is the doorway into a new age of freedom and of love and of happiness. Our culture has gone through a sexual revolution which has been presented to us as a good news story. It claims to be a better story for humans like you and I on sex and relationships and gender. The problem is, it hasn't really delivered. It promised so much, and it has delivered so little. Well, actually, really, it's delivered an awful lot. It didn't promise, and it would never promise. It is important to note there are good things that have come from the sexual revolution over the last 60 or so years. That's really important to say. Things like recognizing the rights of women, things like recognizing the importance of bodily and sexual autonomy, and that we should have the right to consent, and consent is really important. Things like better treatment of gay people and of sexual minorities, recognizing some of the restrictive impact of gender stereotypes. Those are some good things that have come from what's happened in our culture over the last 60 years. It's really important for us to recognize there are good things alongside bad things. And actually, all those things are ultimately rooted in Christian values. The reason those good things are happen is because even though we're a society that's rejected God, deep down our values in many areas are still fairly Christian. We should have been the one championing those things, fighting for those things centuries ago. We should be the ones seeking to uphold those good things that happened. But sadly, alongside the good has also been much bad. Arguably, the sexual revolution has done as much and probably more harm than it has good, particularly to women and to children who have been the victims, particularly of the sexual revolution. We're kind of decades into this story now, into this transformation. This story that's meant to bring us freedom and love and happiness, this thing that claims to be a better story. And yet here we are as a society with a crisis of mental health and a pandemic of loneliness. A society where there is rampant sexual abuse and sexual harassment. Think about the hashtag MeToo campaign that launched a few years ago. Where an estimated 40% of marriages in this nation end in divorce. And actually Hastings is one of the highest divorce rates in the country. Where huge numbers of children don't get to live with both their biological parents as they grow up. Maybe close to 50% of children in this nation. When loads of research shows that on lots of measures, children thrive and flourish best when they get to be brought up by their two biological parents in a home together. 
We're into this revolution by several decades, and in England and Wales alone, every year, we kill 200,000 babies in the womb through abortion. Huge numbers of people are addicted to pornography. A recent estimate said one in two men and one in four women are addicted to pornography, and those numbers are probably higher among under-18s. Pornography is damaging people's ability to have healthy relationships. It's encouraging sexual violence. Lots of totally unreligious people are realizing pornography is a really bad, really dangerous, really harmful thing. And you're heartbreaking that the average age for first exposure to pornography these days is 12 or 13. Alongside all that, we've got thousands of young people who are wanting to identify with a different gender, some of whom are having healthy body parts chopped off and are taking hormone treatments that will render them infertile for life. The claim is that there's a better story here. The reality is it's not. I could go on with the examples, but I don't think I need to. We can see the sexual revolution has failed to deliver what we were told it would. It has not been a better story Arguably, it's been a deadly story for us. And increasingly, it's not only Christians noticing that. Increasingly, there are voices speaking out, people who aren't religious at all, who are noticing these damages and these dangers, particularly the danger of pornography and the negative impact of the sexual revolution on women and children. One example would be a lady called Louise Perry. Louise Perry is a journalist, a non-religious person. Uh, she would say she's a feminist. And she wrote a book a few years ago called The Case Against the Sexual Revolution, where basically she says this claimed better story has been a disaster, particularly for women and children. Here's a quote from near the end of the book. She says, we need to re-erect the social guardrails that have been torn down. And in order to do that, we have to start by stating the obvious. Sex must be taken seriously. Men and women are different. Some desires are bad. Consent is not enough. Violence is not love. Loveless sex is not empowering. People are not products. Marriage is good. A secular feminist journalist writing there a couple of years ago, basically saying we need to unpick the sexual revolution because it has not been good for us. Things are getting so bad, there's so much hurt, there's so much damage, that even people with no religious commitment are saying this story hasn't been good for us. It's heart hurting and harming us. So we live in this cultural context, and we say, well, where can we find a better story on sex and relationships and gender? Is there hope for us in the wasteland that we're now living in into the sexual revolution? But what if, what if there was one who knew us better than we knew ourselves? Who knew us better than we know ourselves and who knows what's best for us and wants what's best for us? What if there's one who's made us and made bodies and made sex and made gender with a plan and a purpose and a design? What if there's one who loves us enough to offer us healing from our hurts? What if there's one who can give us true freedom that really can lead to life and to love and to happiness? Well, of course, the Christian tradition says there is. There is one of whom all those things are true. It is the God revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. Who has a better story for us humans on sex and relationships and gender? It's the God who made us, who loves us, and who sent his son to die for us. It's a story that has good news for each and every one of us individually. Whether we have good stories and good experiences around these topics or bad experiences, whatever we've done or haven't done, whatever's been done to us, God has good news for each and every one of us. 
and it's good news for our hurting culture. We've got the better story that is good news for a culture that is looking for so much and yet failing to find it. We've got the good story which comes as the answer to all the motivations and desires driving our culture. We've got the good news and we get to invite those who are weary from this sexual revolution to come and find and enjoy a better story through relationship with God in Christ. And that's what we're going to be exploring in this series. We're going to be exploring what is God's better story on these topics. What is that story for us? How do we take hold of that, live in the good of that? What is that story for a hurting world around us? How do we take that out and communicate that and bring that good news to people? As Paul said, we're going to explore topics like marriage and singleness, sexuality, friendship, same-sex relationships, pornography, transgender. In each one, we're going to see God has a better story for you and I and for the world in which we are living. It won't always be a story we find easy to hear or easy to live out. It won't always be a story which says exactly what we want it to. It won't always kind of line up with our instinctive beliefs and our instinctive feelings, but it is always a story that is fundamentally, ultimately better for us. God has a better story. And this series is a chance for us to see that, to take hold of that, to grow in our confidence of that, and be equipped to communicate that to the people around us. But actually, before we jump in on any of those big topics, what I want to do with the bit of time we've got left today is to take a step back. You see, before we can think about any of those, we've got to think a bit about some foundations. This Christian better story on these topics only makes sense within the context of the wider Christian story. And if we don't have some basics of that wider Christian story in place, we tend to really struggle to get what God says on topics like sex and relationships and gender. We all know how important foundations are, right? If you've not got the right foundations in place, if you're building, you can't build on it, or what you build on it won't last, all these problems come about. Foundations are key in building the foundations are also key in believing. So I want to briefly highlight to us some key foundations we need to have in place as we go into this series and think about these topics. I've got two on God, two on humans, and two on the world. I'm going to give you a heads up. This will be a bit of a whistle-stop tour we're going through. But what we've also done is produce three life apps for our connect groups, which give us a chance to explore some of this in a bit more detail. So if you're going on to a connect group in the coming months, you'll have a chance to think about some of these topics. If you're not, it's a great time to get into a connect group, our midweek groups, think together about these foundations that are going to be really helpful to us as we work through this series. I want to give you six quick fire foundations, two on God, two on humans, two on the world. We're going to start with God. The foundational belief of Christian belief is that there is a God, the God who is there, and that this God is creator, the creator of all that exists. It's there right at the start of the Bible, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Everything that exists has been created by God. John says this at the beginning of his gospel. He's talking about Jesus. He's just told us Jesus is God, and he says all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. There is nothing that exists outside of God that's been created by anyone else. Everything that exists outside of God has been created by God. God is creator. And we can debate how he did that. Christians do debate how he did that. That's not the important point. The important point is God is creator of all things. And that's so important because as creator, God knows what's best for us. God made us. He made you and me. 
He made our bodies. He made sex and marriage and gender. All these things he made, he knows how they best work. And that means for us, as the creatures of the creator, our best life is found by living out the ways that God has designed for us, the life we're designed to live. God is creator, and that has huge implications when we're thinking about topics like this. And it leads into the fact that God is authority. God is the ultimate authority. He is the arbiter of right and of wrong. He's the one to whom we submit and we obey. And that makes sense if he's creator, right? If he's the creator, we're the creatures, it makes sense that he has authority and that we as creatures should submit to him as creator. Because God is creator, it is right that we submit to him as authority. But it's also wise and sensible that we submit to him as authority. Because he's the creator, he knows what's best for us. Therefore, the sensible thing for us to do is to submit to him and to his ways. Think of if you get a new piece of technology, or you get some flat pack furniture, the sensible thing to do in that circumstance is to listen to the one who designed and made that. And as much as many of us will resist doing so, listening to the instructions is the wise and sensible thing to do because the creator knows best, and so we submit to the authority of the creator. Well, God is our creator, the creator of all, and so we choose to submit to him knowing that he knows what's best for us and he wants what's best for us. And what's really, really important here is that God is an authority who can be trusted. He's not only creator and therefore our authority, he's also good. He's the good creator. We live in a culture which is quite anti-authority. We are against things that have authority over us from outside. We assume they're going to be oppressive and dangerous and abusive. And that's quite an understandable position because sadly we have seen countless examples of authority abused and misused in our culture. But just because authority can be abused and misused doesn't mean it has to be. God is the one with ultimate authority, but who never misuses and never abuses his authority because he is good. Core to the being of the living God is that he is good. He cannot be anything other than good. Therefore, he will never misuse or abuse his authority. Therefore, he is safe for us to submit ourselves, our lives, our everything to God is the ultimate authority. He's an authority that can be trusted. And so because God is the ultimate authority, the right and the wise thing to do is submit to that authority. And that means we submit to what God says in his word, in the Bible. The Bible is where we most clearly hear and learn about the will of God and his plans and purposes for us. Here's what the Apostle Paul One of the early church leaders says about the Bible when he writes to one of his co-workers, Timothy, in 2 Timothy 3. He says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Scripture, what we read in the Bible is God's word. It's breathed out from God. It comes from the core of who he is. It is the authoritative word of the ultimate authority. And so when we as Christians approach big topics like sex and relationships and gender, just as when we approach all topics, we do so from the perspective of Scripture. What does God say in the Bible? What does the one who made us, who knows us best, who wants what's best for us, what does he say about this? And how do I submit myself to that? In this series, we'll find some stuff in the Bible that is controversial. 
We'll find some stuff that is very different from the views of the culture around us. We'll find some things that might be different from our kind of instinctive beliefs that we find difficult to hear it say. But the Christian response, the right response, and the wise response, when that happens, that we choose to submit to the authority of Scripture, knowing it is the word of the God who knows us best and wants what is best for us. Therefore, it will always be the best thing for us. God is creator and the ultimate authority. They are the most important foundations we need in place as we seek to think Christianly about topics like the ones we're going to look at. But we can also think about some foundations about humans, about you and I. One would be about our internal life. We've all got an internal life in the sense of we all experience feelings and desires. Desires, things we want, feelings, those kind of intuitive beliefs that feel real to us. But actually, a Christian perspective tells us we can't always trust our feelings and desires. Actually, sometimes they lie to us, and that includes sexual desires and feelings around gender. Paul the Apostle, when he writes to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 4, has this really interesting phrase where he describes our desires as deceitful. He talks about these deceitful desires we experience in Ephesians 4.22. He says, your desires sometimes lie to you. They sometimes deceive you. They promise one thing if you follow them, and yet they don't actually deliver. That desire to take revenge says that if you do it, then you'll feel better. And so you do it, but of course, actually, you don't feel better. That desire to have all the latest bits of tech, or all the nicest clothes, tells you if you have all these things, you will feel happy and fulfilled, and you get all those things. And of course, it doesn't deliver. You don't feel that. That desire to look at pornography says, if you let yourself have that little treat and do that, you'll feel really good. But of course, any feeling you get doesn't last. It's not a good feeling in the long term. Our desires lie to us. And so sometimes do our feelings, those intuitive beliefs. I might feel I'm really ugly and unattractive. Doesn't necessarily mean it's true. I might feel I'm really attractive. Doesn't necessarily mean it's true. I might feel God doesn't love me. That isn't true. What we feel to be true isn't always actually true. Our feelings, our desires lie to us. And Scripture shows us that's because they, like all of God's good creation, has been damaged and impacted by the fall. That's how we describe what happened to the world when we as humans sinned and rebelled against God. God's good creation becomes damaged, disrupted, marred, broken. And that includes our feelings and desires. They are not a reliable guide to what is good for us and what is true. And that's another reason why we come to the Bible. I can't trust what I feel inside. I need to say, what does God say? What is the one I can trust? What does he say? Our desires and our feelings will lie to us and let us down. God and his word will never lie to us and he will never let us down. And so as Christians, we start from a position of being a bit suspicious of our feelings and desires and seeking to come again and again, what does God say in his word? We've got to have a biblical view about our internal life. We've also got to have a biblical view about true freedom. We live in a culture that tells us true freedom is the ability to do whatever you want to follow those desires with no external restraints there. That's basically been the message of and the quest of the sexual revolution of our culture. It's being about throwing off the restraints of traditional morality, the old-fashioned rules, throwing off even the, strengths of, the restraints of biology, the inconvenience of pregnancy, our body telling us who we are as a man or woman. It's throwing off those oppressive things so we can embrace our desires and our feelings, we can be true to ourselves and find true freedom. 
because our culture believes true freedom is the ability to do whatever you want without any external restrictions. But that is a terrible form of freedom. Because think about it, we've just said those feelings, those desires, they lie to us. They're not a reliable guide for us. This supposed freedom isn't really freedom at all. It's slavery to desires and feelings which so often are lying to us, which promise all of this and yet deliver very little. True freedom isn't the ability to do what you want without any external restrictions. True freedom is the ability to live the way you were created to live. It links back to God as creator. He knows us. He knows what's best for us. He wants what's best for us. True freedom is made to live out the plans that God has for us. True freedom isn't found by throwing out what God says. True freedom is found by living within what God says. Think of this silly illustration. Think of a fish. A fish is in a tank. It looks every day longingly at the world outside of the tank and thinks, if only I could be in the open air, I would be free. If only I could follow my desire to be an air-dwelling creature, I would be free. And one day it gets its big dream. It gets its big, its big moment. It gets out of the tank into the air, and it thinks, I'm going to experience fullness of life, my best life. But of course, we all know within moments it won't experience its best life. It will experience no life. It'll be dead. Freedom for a fish is to be in water because a fish is designed to live in water. True freedom isn't the freedom to embrace your desires, whatever they might be. They might be lying to you. True freedom is to live out your creator's plan for you. True freedom is the ability to live God's way and wonderfully in the Christian gospels of the work of Christ and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we are given the ability to live out God's plans for us and that is how we can find true freedom. We need to understand ourselves rightly as we think about these topics, knowing about true freedom and the reality of being suspicious of our internal life. And the two final foundations, these ones are thinking more broadly, thinking about the world. We need to be aware as we think about these topics of the present situation of the world. The reality is you and I are living in a world right now which is under the power and the influence of the enemy, of God's enemy, the devil. Jesus, a couple of times in John's Gospel, in John's 12, John 12 and John 14, refers to the devil as the ruler of this world. Jesus tells us, shows us there is a real being who is opposed to God, opposed to his ways, opposed to his people, and he has real power and influence in the world in which you and I live. The Apostle John tells us the same. In 1 John 5, verse 18 onwards, he says, We know that everyone who's been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who is born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. He affirms the fact there's an enemy. The evil one, the whole world, he says, is in his power. But notice also, he says, for those of us who trust in God, who put our trust in Jesus, who've been born of God, we are protected from the evil one. We need to be aware of the reality of the devil's influence in the world, not so that we're fearful, we don't need to be fearful, but so that we can be wise in how we live. The reality is, if the devil is the ruler of this world, if the world is in his power, then we can't just assume that the ways of the world are always right or always good. Just because a new idea comes along, or just because an idea becomes popular or becomes mainstream, doesn't mean it's right. It might not be. 
Again, this takes us back to God is our authority, the good authority. We've got to ask, what does he say? I said earlier, in the sexual revolution, there were some good bits and there were lots of bad bits. How do I know which is which? We say, what does the word of God say? How does this line up with what God says in his word? Because of the present state of the world, the reality of the devil's influence and work and power in the world, we need to keep going back to what does God say? To be shaped by the word of God, not shaped by the realities of the culture around us. We need to know about the present experience, present situation of the world, and also we need to know about the future of the world. Our final foundation. See, the Christian view of things doesn't end with life in the here and now. This life, this age isn't all that there is. There is an age to come, the age of the new creation. The great finale in the Christian story is that Jesus comes back, and as he comes back, he raises the dead to life, all of God's faithful people, and that we get to spend all eternity with him in a perfected, renewed creation. Everything that is wrong having been put to right. A context where our feelings and our desires will no longer ever lie to us, and where we will know true, full freedom, where the devil will no longer have any power. That's where we're headed if we trust in Jesus. That's the end and the great consummation of God's big story. And the fact that that's where we're headed, the fact that that's the future of the world and of us as God's people in the world, shapes how we live now, in today, in the here and now. Here's what the Apostle Peter says, reflecting on that kind of theme in 1 Peter 2 verse 11. He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. He says, we as Christians here, we're just sojourners, which just means we're temporary residents. We're exiles. We're away from our true home. And therefore, we need to abstain from our passions, from our desires. And again, he's warning us, your desires will lie to you. Don't just give up yourself to all of your desires. They're waging a war against us, he says. Strong language. Our desires often actually are enemies waging wars against us. Instead, he says, we need to keep our conduct honorable. How do we keep our conduct honorable? Again, we come back to the word of God. What does God say? How do I submit to that? As Christians, we know this life isn't all that there is. Our true home is a coming new creation, and therefore, we sometimes need to deny ourselves our desires, abstain from our desires. And even when that is hard and painful and costly, even when following Jesus faithfully, even when discipleship, walking that path behind Jesus is difficult, we do it knowing we're holding on for something better, for something eternal. We're holding on for a new creation. This world isn't all that there is. The future world coming it impacts how we live now in the present because we know we're headed for a perfected new creation with Jesus. Two foundations about the world that we need to keep in mind as we go through this series. May the band come up at this point, please. So friends, we have got a better story on sex and relationships and gender. It's the story that each of us as individuals needs, whatever our own story of sex and relationships and gender has been so far. It's the story our hurting culture desperately, desperately needs. And that's what we're going to explore over these coming weeks. But to understand that story, we've got to first have something of the bigger Christian story in place, something of these foundations, knowing the truth about God, about us, and about the world around us.
I know it's been a whistle-stop tour to these foundations today, so I'd encourage you to take some time to be thinking about these. You might want to re-listen to this, get along to a connect group, go through those life apps together, which help us to explore this a bit more. And keep these foundations in mind as we're going through these topics in the weeks to come. But that's what we're going to do now is we're going to come before the God we've been thinking about. As much as we think about all these topics, ultimately, we're seeing in this series the goodness of the God who made us, who knows us, who wants what's best for us, and who invites us to find true life in him. And so a great way for us to respond is just to set our gaze on him again and give glory to the good creator God who's got good news for us in this better story. Do you want to stand if you're reading an able? I'm going to pray, and then the band will lead us as we worship God. Father, we thank you that you have a better story for us on all parts of life, including on sex, on relationships, and gender. Thank you that you is the good creator God. You know us. You love us. You know what's best for us. You want what is best. We pray, Lord God, would you give us your good news and to enjoy true life through living out your ways. Help us too, Lord, to be equipped, Lord, to bring your good news to a hurting world around us. By your spirit, we pray in this series, would you be teaching us, would you be shaping us, and ultimately, would you be showing us afresh your goodness, that we might bring glory to you in our lives and in our living. We ask all these things in your precious name. Amen.